0: back to the platform the podcast for the railfan and model railroader alike this is our station house audio series where we bring the show to you you do not have to attend our platform we bring it to you i am back with my good friends ron bowman and brad jolliffe we are sitting in brad's private business car brad you must be royalty you've got a private business car how do you rate I mean, I don't have a private... Ron, do you have a private... I don't have a private no, business no, card. No, I
1: just come and visit Brad. It is.
0: <laughs> you must work for a short line. <laughs> Brad is VP of the Ontario Southland Railway uh, in Southern Ontario, and Ron is retired from an illustrious career with CP. I don't mention the CN part, Ron. Sorry, I just... No, that's uh, all right. Everybody makes it's only mistakes. a few months. Well, yeah. everybody makes mistakes, yeah. so <laughs> we, don't, we don't mention that part. Guys, we're back today, and we are going to talk about snow plows, winter railroading, plow extras. I know you both have uh, extensive uh, experience and backgrounds with running plow extras and, and how that worked and, and winter railroading in general. Uh, let's have it. Brad, how many plow extras have you been on in your career? No.
2: Besides too many. I wouldn't know the exact number, but a lot. It started back in my CP days, of course. Uh, as a as a trainman, in fact, I, I worked uh, more than a few with Ron as my conductor uh, on the plows out on the Woodstock branches. So typically, uh, the plow would be ordered at o six hundred in the morning at London, if I remember right. So if you were on the spare board and you wanted the plow extra, you could book your rest till o four hundred, and you're pretty well guaranteed you'd be called for the for the plow and typically you'd uh, plow the St. Mary subdivision uh, the Port Burwell subdivision and the St. Thomas subdivision all if things went somewhat according to plan you'd get it all done uh... in one day long day one long day because things very seldom went according to plan usually get back in before midnight on those jobs so that's uh... that was my uh... uh my first exposure to the uh, snow plowing and then uh, when I worked at Godrich Exeter Railway from 92 until 97 uh, of course uh, Stratford to uh, Godrich and Clinton Junction down to Centralia right in the snow belt and uh, I believe it was the second or third winter that I was working there where we had a really severe winter where we were basically plowing day and night uh, for, for a couple of weeks pretty much. And I was by default kind of thrown into the plow foreman's position, mostly plowing at night uh, because our older uh, track foreman was got the day job. So, uh, and at that point, I'm actually in the plow itself and controlling the plow. So run us through briefly who is involved in the running
0: of a plow extra. Like the, the crew, who do we have? Well, we
2: have? you've got uh, on the Godridge Exeter, you, you had a, a two-man train crew. You had an engineer and a conductor. And then up in the plow, you had a plow foreman and a plow helper. Plow helper. What
0: was the job of each of the helper and the foreman? And, what uh, were your duties?
2: Well, the, the plow foreman... Uh, controlled the the movement speeds and whatnot by radio and uh, operated uh, the wings on the plow in and out in and out for the wings and also the nose uh, would raise and lower and of course when you came to road crossings or switches or bridges with Jordan rails you had to bring that nose up on the plow or uh, it was not good uh, farm crossings, another case, if you g- didn't get the nose up, you'd tear all the, f- the planks out of the farm crossings. So, and it was challenging on the Godrich Exeter because uh, normally restrictions like that, farm crossings could be anywhere, out in the middle of nowhere, but they're supposed to be marked with what are called flanger signs, but they weren't always in place.
0: Or, or they could be buried, get enough snow. Yeah. So, um, you really had to know your territory, you had to
2: know the territory and I had to make notes because the old foreman would say, there's no sign, but it's by the big tree or it's uh, yeah. this kind of thing. So,
1: and that nose that w- that Brad talked about goes in between the rail below the head of the rail, the, reas- the, uh, the reason for that is that a lot of times, if you they leave that pack snow in there, you get friction that actually makes it harder to pull the train. Uh, also
2: makes it harder to stop the train
1: and to stop the train yeah so you've actually uh, there's there are good operational reasons for clearing that out but to your point about the bad things happening when you lower the nose we on cp we one trip i was on they lowered the nose right at the crossing and they put the plow off the track and the left set of wheels at the front truck of the plow rode the right rail and the just past the crossing there was no snow and the foreman told me that it was the roughest ride he'd ever had bouncing on the t-
0: each tie so. how do you become a plow foreman uh, maybe not on Godrich Exeter but on CP where there's there's more manpower I guess to, to, to draw from do you have uh, special training that you have to take to be a plow foreman
1: well, well first off on CP we should we should clarify that CP when they ran plows uh, um, at least when I any of the ones I worked we had an engine and or more than one engine and a caboose in the plow. The plow people were all from the track maintenance forces. So and they, the
2: jobs were bid according to your seniority? Yeah
1: be, because they were lucrative jobs and these typically more senior guys would bid them in.
0: Okay so the guys yeah. the, the, the two the two uh, the two people in the plow the foreman and the helper were not running trades employees? No. They no, were track they, guys.
1: Yeah, they uh, They had a headlight on the plow and the horn. They blew the horn for the crossing. So they were A-card qualified, meaning they had the same rules, qualifications as conductors and engineers, or at least one of them did. And maybe the yes. other one didn't necessarily have, the helper may not need to, but the foreman on the plow had to know the rules, the operating rules, just like everybody else. I would
0: imagine there'd be more senior people that would be in the plow foreman position, given the responsibility.
1: Well, the the money was the big thing that drove anybody in the railway to work certain jobs. They worked the job because it was, you know, it was a lucrative, a good paying job. I like plows because they were different, and you never had to walk very far in theory. If your train broke down, big train in the winter, that was a tough
0: walk to tail end. <laughs> Chances of breaking a knuckle weren't so so great on a on a plow. Extra.
1: Yeah, they and, you know, in our case, we we plowed all those branches out, and we we tried to. Um, and that's something we maybe we'll get into some other time. But we tried to make the job pay as as good as possible too. But um, you know sometimes things. And, and I mean someday we'll talk about that. But basic, were you
0: stretching stretching a single into a triple, Ron? Well, yeah, but anyway. <laughs> so <clears throat> railways don't seem to operate plows anymore. Is is this is this a thing of the past? Is this
2: well in southern Ontario most of the the branch lines in the snowbelt areas have, were abandoned by CN and CP in the, mostly in the 80s. So really, all that's left now is uh, the the Stratford to Godrich section that Goderich, Exeter still operates. Uh, they they run plows pretty much every winter. It'd be very rare that they would get a winter that they didn't have to operate a plow at all. And here, where I am at Ontario Southland, uh, we run plows, again, depending on the winter. Uh, Woodstock to St. Thomas and Ingersoll down to um, Tilsonburg. So one winter, one winter we had to run the plow on 15 different occasions. Uh, The last couple of winters, we didn't have to operate it at all. It just depends on the accumulation of snow, the wind, and whether you get thaw's partway through the winter or not if you get an accumulation of snow and there's no thaw and you get a wind then you're going to be plowing and once you plow once all it takes is wind and you're going to you're going to be plowing pretty much all winter long so it's drifting can it's be the drifting. problem
0: not always just a, a raw accumulation it's Correct.
1: drifting yeah and for CP, uh, east of Guelph Junction, they used to plow because they had a, a, trains moved in one direction. So the westward track would get an accumulation of snow and it was the uphill track. So they would go along, they'd run plows just to get the uh, clean out between the rails. And, and that's not an issue now because it's CTC and trains will go down the hill on either track and they'll blow all that snow out if they're on the what was formerly the westward track.
0: Is there an ideal track speed for plowing, Brad? Other than as fast as possible,
1: likely as fast as possible. <laughs> well, we, in the old days, of course, they, the, the deal was to throw the snow over the right way fence, but, but you had to, if you had, if you adhered to the track speeds, you probably wouldn't get any plowing done in a lot of cases. I mean, we, we worked this, uh, Port Burwell sub, for example, within a few hundred feet from where we're sitting in this private car, we've got stuck in there a couple of times. There was a snow drift there that was higher than the train. We went into it at fifty miles an hour. It was thirty five mile an hour track. We went in with two engines, got come to a stop, with the wings in, You didn't put the wings out first time, back up two miles and come at it again as fast as you can go. Bust through it eventually, maybe second or third try. But now it's you know first off, climate change has probably resulted in a lot less snow, which is a big factor too, but but I always thought they were a hoot. I it was to me it was more fun than anything else and I was getting paid a good buck to do it so
0: did it always seem to be the same group of guys that would
1: same plow foreman and helper for years on the Woodstock branches but different train crew we'd have whoever was lined up for it because they were extra jobs I was on a conductor's spare board and they were used to come out of the freight pools but eventually they
0: made them spare jobs so And they paid well? And if not, you made them pay well? Well, they paid
1: well because if you went to Port Burwell, you went on a new day down there, which is another story. If you went to St. Thomas, you went on a new day. So you had to work with the sort of in concert with the plow foreman, trying to get him to uh, he was on an hourly clock. and, And so he wanted to put in more time. So we all worked together to make it lucrative. They used to call it white gold. The plow guys, <laughs> white gold. White gold. They said, "Oh, there's a white gold today." So,
0: <laughs> here's here's a question: uh, Was there ideal? Was there an ideal uh, motive power um, combination or single unit that that the plow guys uh, were after, like good rail adhesion? Or
2: well, so I, th- I think on uh, Canadian Pacific. Uh, the rs18s were very very well liked for uh for snowplow power no gms gms always ended up having ground really yeah problems. you got seemed to c- get far fewer uh, ground relays with the uh with the mlws and also uh very quick uh, they were quick to load when when you called for more speed you got it you got when you called for more speed you got more speed inst- instantaneously whereas the GMs were a little a little sluggish. Were the
0: RS-18s
2: just as good after rebuild?
1: Oh, I had the 1813 right out of the factory after rebuild. We had it on a plow here, and we never got one ground relay the whole time. That was unknown. That was unknown because even, even as good as they were, the RS-18s, you'd still get a ground relay here or
0: there. But even when they the old original 87 hundreds before rebuild, were they still good?
2: Oh, yes. Oh, they were preferred. Yeah. For plowing. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah, they were preferred. And preferably more than one.
1: Yeah, yeah. If we had two, we went up to St. Mary's after we had a false start up there one time, and then with two 8700s, I mean, with the, there was no snow in, in... All the snow went where it was intended to go, mm-hmm. put it that way.
2: I guess... And, and, and if you did have GM power, the uh, the F units were quite good uh, on for snow plow service.
0: Now, was that just because of the the uh, the rounded nose.
2: Yeah, that was part of it, yeah. They're warmer. We And the cabs were nice, as Ron said, the cabs were nice and warm for the train crew. They, the cabs would leak snow a lot of times. So if you had poor door seals or anything, I mean, we had them taped
1: up with duct tape. Sometimes they put cardboard and tape in there and everything else to all the. You'd have little snow drifts in around the front door you be on the plow and that snow would just be swirling around between the engine and the plow and it just would enter the cab. And, and, then, when it, and then when
2: it time, came time to get out of the locomotive cab, it was a challenge if you were on a GP9 or an RSC. You had to AG, be shoveled out sometimes. You had to be shoveled out yeah. or come out through the side window yeah. occasionally. So
1: the F unit, uh, that problem was uh, not because of the configuration. It was a moot point. It's just climb down the side.
0: On, on, the, on the CPR, was it common to use two locomotives on a plow in case one suffered ground relays not had, necessarily no
2: no as i recall an awful lot of the plows i worked on cp were single yeah. units yeah and uh, ditto for godrich exeter well godrich exeter they just didn't have the luxury of didn't have enough power that they could put a second unit on
1: one one plow we worked uh, had a b uh, and o leased gb 38 and it only made it to putnam out of woodstock it just, it is, the water got in there and it just it ended up catching fire. It was just a real piece of junk. So, um, but anyway, uh, to give us, and we, w- that particular trip, we had a 4200, uh, a C424 with it. And next day we we had cooked it as well with all the filters were plugged up and we ended up with the two RS-18s.
0: Do you and- realize Ron that in that story, you just told about two cooked units that you're the common denominator <laughs> between the, between those two stories? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, but you, uh, you weren't, you weren't the engineer seat though.
1: No, 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 no. They were just uh, they were cooked because of the uh, snow accumulation, and the other one got full of water and it's caught on fire. But um,
0: so, yeah. so, Ron, your experience on plows would be as a conductor, correct? For, as a conductor for the most part. Yeah. Tell talk to me about the role of a conductor on a plow extra, uh, where there really isn't. I mean, you're not switching freight cars. You're not. You, well,
1: no, but you got to the end of the line, you what had to was switch, your role? switch your way around the caboose and you had to, uh, your other uh, and primary role as a conductor anyway, was to ensure adherence to the operating rules. So you had to determine where uh, and what you do. And a good example of that is I was on a plow up to Godrich and it's dark territory, no signals, and we had time on the southbound Godrich Way Freight. And... Uh, the engineer wanted to go to a certain station and i didn't feel we had time and i told him pull into uh, the siding at wallenstein and we pulled in there and sure enough the train came along on, right on his time we would have hit him head on if i hadn't taken that uh, used my authority in that particular case he wasn't going by what the rules said he was going by what uh, he felt like anecdotal uh, evidence and and uh, you know assumptions and that but we had a saying in the railway, if you, if you assume things, you make an ass out sort of you and me, was the expression. So. Yeah.
0: Well, and you could tear up a lot of equipment and, uh, and people could get yeah. really hurt or well, worse. Could, yeah, or worse, that's right. So. Yeah.
1: But the conductor's role was primarily that. And, uh, and I like to feel that in addition to those things, my other role was to ensure the, the uh, most lucrative possible payment for all involved by uh, strategically planning the
2: moves. Now, keeping track of doubling miles, a lot of times you would, you would uh, go through a heavy drift and you may get through it the first time or you might stall, but even if you got through it, say the first time, you would, uh, the plow foreman may, uh, you know, say far enough stop and you'd back up a mile or two. Sometimes, not uncommon for the, for the really bad cuts to make four passes before you continue.
1: And we worked under through freight
2: rates and conditions uh,
1: first day out. So uh, that meant doubling was all paid for. Just like if you were on a train and you stalled on a hill and you doubled, you get paid for the miles doubling. So you could be a little bit creative in your mileages. You
0: never, ever use fractions. Were you brave enough to ride in the uh, cupola uh, on a plow extra knowing that you could uh, stop fairly suddenly?
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah my, my whole thing was I, I rode in the plows as well but my whole thing was to uh, I turn the seats around for the, I knew where the big drifts were and I used to tell the brakeman turn the seat around we'll face the bag probably have to back up anyway but then if it goes off the track or stops suddenly you'll be going into the seat, not
0: out the front window Because so. you could stop in a hurry.
1: Very quickly We've gone into drifts and Salver was a bad one right near where we are right here and we've gone into that drift at 50 mile an hour and, and come to a dead stop in a short distance.
0: Yeah, it's a good way to spill the coffee.
1: Oh yeah, but we had what we called the safety appliance for that. We had the stillson wrench, two elastic bands, and the ball peen hammer uh, around the coffee perk, and they usually could withstand quite a lot of buffeting. <laughs> say, that, say that again slowly. So we had the van. The van or caboose had tools, a lot of tools in case you break down. So among those tools was the big stillson pipe wrench. It's a big adjustable pipe wrench, and the ball peen hammer. So a good conductor always carried a supply of elastic bands because we used to carry waybills. So you would position those strategically on the CP steel caboose, they had a electric stove. You'd position the coffee perk on the stove, the ball peen hammer at right angles to the guides on the stove, tighten it up with elastics and you could pretty near stop on a dime and that thing wouldn't go anywhere. And we, you know, a good conductor knew about that too, Yeah, how to keep the coffee from going on the floor. There was so much to know.
0: I want to ask each of you to recall uh, a plow story and that's how we'll end uh, end this segment on on plowing. Um, Ron, do you got one that you can share with us? Well, I'm <laughs> um, either a memorable moment or one you wish you could forget or
1: Well, I had one where I created a we ended, all of us made a mistake with our train orders then ended up uh, committing a dismissible offense. And in that particular incident, I, I mean, I could read the orders, but I just to uh, to make uh, to explain it, we had a uh, we had a plow between Woodstock and Saint Thomas, and and uh, Ingersoll and Port Burwell, and the dispatcher did something very unusual. We we were we had work extra orders, which meant we operate occupy the track between certain lengths of time, uh, the times mentioned in the order, but he put one order out from Woodstock to, I guess it was to Vienna rather than all the way to Port Burwell. But anyway, put one order out with certain times and the other order out from Ingersoll to St. Thomas with different times. And that was really unusual. Usually you got one order to to work extra on the St. Thomas and one on the Port Burwell. So to make a long story short, we got back to Ingersoll. Uh, We had gone on the ground earlier going to uh, St. Thomas because of one of those incidents where the Platform and put the nose down too early and so we were getting close to the time the time limits on these orders we got back to Ingersoll we all made the uh, in our minds uh, thought that we had the time on one order rather than the other and, but in fact we left Ingersoll when that time on that chunk of track had expired we ran over to Woodstock and when we got to Woodstock the operator said what are you doing here so I said what do you mean he said well your order ran out at 2230 it's 2300 so i said uh no no that's wrong so we got the orders on got looking and sure enough he was correct so i said to the uh guy well there's six jobs here if you uh if you're going to turn us in and he said well uh, how are you going to deal with this and i said i have an idea so at this time we didn't have call display and telephones and we didn't have dispatchers that could talk to in the radio so I, call, I called, the, I would have got fired for this, so just bear that in mind, but I'm telling the story now because it's 35 years later. I won't
0: tell anybody, I promise.
1: Doesn't matter, statute of limitations is up. But anyway, I phoned the dispatcher at, who by this time they had moved to Toronto and I told them, uh, I said, uh, oh yeah, we're at Ingersoll. And they said we were stopped for a coffee and we, uh, we, ran, we don't have any time left, so we need an order to run the Woodstock. And so, uh, oh, okay, so he gave us an order uh, on the telephone and uh, we sat there for another 20 minutes as if we were making our run across that particular chunk of track. And while we were sitting there, a mainline train went by and said, hey, how's the snow out there boys? Cause they could see our engine and plow off to the, uh, on the branch line. And uh, so anyway, we were basically, every time the phone rang for the next two months, we thought we were probably gonna get fired. It was so uh, egregious, that particular faux pas that we created that uh, we had a train register that we discussed earlier in Ingersoll. Once we got back into London, I drove to Ingersoll and I changed the times on the train order to reflect what we should have done, not what we did at the time. <laughs> so that's how bad I felt about it and how much I was concerned for being discovered. So. But all is well, that ended well. None of us got found out, and we all completed our careers r- relatively unscathed. And the
0: pension checks up until this date have been coming uh, They've regularly. been coming in now for over <laughs> nine years now,
1: so yeah, that's
0: right. Brad, you got a quick one before we go? Just a memorable day on a plow or something well, that went wrong?
2: they're generally all pretty memorable. Uh, <laughs> I remember some a couple pretty uh, wild rides through uh, Ambro, Ontario on the... Um, St. Mary's subdivision there was a series of S curves going through there and 85 pound rail and at the time 25 mile an hour track and uh, uh, being in the caboose uh, or the van as as we call it and uh, the speed limit was probably we were I would guess we were doing almost double that so it was pretty wild pretty wild on a branch line uh, and uh, the same on the godrich exeter i mean when you're actually especially when you're actually in the snow plow itself it's it's pretty wild depending on the speed you're operating it can get really bouncing a lot there's no
0: springs in the front truck. in the
2: front truck so it, it can it can get it can get pretty wild but uh, you know of course you want to maximize your speed to the extent you can to throw the snow hopefully over the fence but depending you have to know your track conditions, where you can go and where you can't go.
1: Yeah, yeah, some of the craziest, uh, perhaps most scary uh, times I had in cabooses were on plows, just as you said, and and just north of Salford, there's a couple of curves too, and I've gone around there at a pretty good clip that, yeah, getting ready to hit the big drift here.
0: So the thing that I'm taking away from our chat on on snow plows is it's kind of like a baseball swing for the fences. (laughs) for the fences yeah
1: yeah it was unlike any other typical railway thing that you did so it was if nothing else it was a change of routine and everything not that every day in the railway wasn't different because they all were but this was I thought they were always interesting You went someplace different you did something different so.
0: well I've certainly enjoyed listening to it and uh, I've, it's added to my to my knowledge of winter railroading this has been excellent guys thanks very much And thank you for listening to the Platform Podcast, the Station House Audio Series. Via detector milepost 5.51. No alarm. Detector out.